I've been a victim to dog fishing. Hello, hello, hello. Love is in the air. Oh my God, is that Cupid <laughs> flying around in his diaper and uh, archery supplies? I think so. Whoa. Uh, welcome, welcome to, I guess, are we going with Fallen in Love February this time? I think Fallen in Love February has just a beautiful ring to it. Yeah, because I guess we're not doing exclusively romantic comedies we're really just doing romance movies so yeah you know got to broaden it out a little bit but we are super excited to bring you a very romantic lineup this year yeah we pulled you guys you expressed to us what you want to see so we incorporated that in there mm-hmm. not only that but on patreon we are doing a romantic well it's not a romantic comedy but it yeah. is a fall in love february movie <laughs> yes finally we are doing pride and prejudice which was sought after people have pulled their votes <laughs> yeah it has been in the running i'm pretty sure every single month except for maybe december mm-hmm. for the past like six months since the patreon was launched yeah. so it's been a long time coming we were super excited to finally get it recorded so Definitely head over to our Patreon if you want to check it out. Yeah. I guess, like, should we announce our inaugural Fall in Love February movie? Yeah, let's do it. Today, we are covering the 1998 Nora Ephron classic, You've Got Mail. Yes. This is actually, I think, a first watch for both of us, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, neither of us had seen, like, the... The Meg Ryan, Nora Ephron trilogy Yeah. prior to this. We we just did When Harry Met Sally last month. And then we have this one. So the only one we have left after this is uh, Sleepless, Sleepless in Seattle. Seattle. Yeah. But um, should we talk numbers? I mean, we know why you came to the pod. Yeah. It's all about the facts and figures, baby. <laughs> We're not nothing if uh, if not mathematically accurate on this podcast. As accurate as we can be according to Wikipedia. Right. So the budget for You've Got Mail was $65 million. I would say pretty big budget for big 1998. Big budget, yeah. Yeah. And they did make $250.8 million in the box office. So good return. Mm-hmm. People wanted to see Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks for sure. And uh, oh my gosh, why can't I think of the – Forrest Gump had already come out. Mm-hmm. So he was like – Riding high. Prime Tom Hanks time. Exactly. I think that the reason that this budget was so high was purely because of the fact that they had to build the Fox Books set uh, from the ground up. They used, I think... Oh, my God. I think it was like an old Barney's location that had closed down or something like that because they wanted to use Barnes & Noble, but they said no, which is not surprising given the fact that Fox Books is clearly supposed to be Barnes and Noble. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It actually, like, the color scheme is Borders. Like, mm. do you remember? Oh, yeah. Okay. I used to go to Borders all the time in Singapore. Me too. Yeah. I would go to the mall. I would go to Borders. And sometimes they would have, like, the coffee shop type of thing where there would be, like, performers like you know like people like doing acoustic guitar and stuff oh yeah and me and my friends would be like oh my god he's so (laughs) hot yeah there was a there was a borders right near my school so i used to go all the time like with my mom after school or something 
And they also had a restaurant inside. So sometimes we would eat dinner right. there too. Um, but then it closed down. And then after that, Kinokuniya became my like go-to bookstore, mm. which is like a Japanese chain, which they actually have one in New York now because I just went when I was there. I was shocked. But What's it called again? Kinokuniya. Oh, yeah. I've never heard of it. The one I went to is right by Bryant Park. Cool. And they have the best stationery ever. So like Ooh, I would always okay. get my back to school stationery at Kinokuniya. So hot tip if anyone's in school. <laughs> Go get yeah, your pens for all you stationary hoes out there. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of bookstores, uh, the bookstore that Meg Ryan runs in this movie, the little shop around the corner, was actually not originally a bookstore. They filmed it at Maya Shaper's Cheese and Antique Shop. Doesn't look like a cheese shop at all. Also, like cheese and antiques. What an interesting combo. Pretty interesting. <laughs> It sounds like – I don't know if you've heard of that store that has pickles and books. No, but I want to go there. Yeah, it's actually near my house. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I don't know really how the concept came to be, but yeah, you can buy like jars of pickles and books. Oh, my God. And there's something where it's like if you give the jar back, you get a discount. Like, I don't know. Yeah. But people be doing shit like that in New yeah. York. <laughs> it's true. Love a combination uh, Pizza Hut Taco Bell situation, but it's like a little boutique. Exactly. <laughs> And the bookshop in the movie is actually kind of based off of a real New York City bookstore, mm -hmm. Books of Wonder in Manhattan. I actually pass by it all the time, and it does quite look like mm -hmm. the bookshop around the corner. Um, and it's really cute. It has, like, children's – exclusively children's books and, like, cute displays that they change pretty frequently. It's adorable. Yeah. So this movie is, like, an adaptation of an adaptation of an adaptation – Kind of. Yeah. There's been so many different um, pieces of media based on this play from 1937 called uh, Parfumerie. <laughs> Go off. Go off. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> It was about like two co-workers who are secretly pen pals, I suppose. And that inspired a movie from 1940 called The Shop Around the Corner, which – there is a nod to in this mm -hmm. and throughout you've got mail there are also references to the wizard of oz um because judy garland was in another movie inspired by the movie the shop around the corner called the good old summertime so lots of lots of fodder in this plot apparently people oh, were yeah. pulling from it left and right they're like wow this is a great concept let's just like keep it rolling yeah keep it rolling so you know who knows some might even say that it inspired a 2000s classic a cinderella story who's to say wow who's to say <laughs> that's so true and also i mean there's a bunch of references in here like they talk about pride and prejudice yeah there's the wizard of oz stuff like there's just a an encompassing of different materials. Mm. And pretty much like the last fun fact, or actually I should have said this earlier, but um, Meg Ryan and Heather Burns also worked at Books of Wonder. Mm. I saw one account that was like, oh, they worked there for a week and another that said it was one day. Yeah, <laughs> But it sounds like they did real life um, experience working in a bookstore for preparation. Yeah. And our last little fact is that uh, this movie was called You've Got Mail because – I don't know if they have now trademarked it or – I don't know. I don't know. even know if it exists. If it, like, yeah, if I'm it even so exists confused. anymore. But yeah. AOL had not trademarked the phrase You've Got Mail. So they were able to use it. But the alternative title that this movie is going to have was Shop Girl. But I think You've Got Mail is a much stronger 
more fitting title than like shop girl. Yeah. <laughs> shop girl, one word. Imagine they took out the I, like shop girl. Oh my God. Shop girl. <laughs> but with that being said, should we just dive right into it? Yeah, I guess we should just go head first into the the dark, deep unknown of the world wide web. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> So as any 90s, early 2000s movie would have, we have just an incredibly long intro credit scene Mm -hmm. where like the modem is being dialed up and we like hear the beep, like beep, boop, boop. Yeah. (laughs) And once this is complete, Frank Navasky is getting ready for work. I forget this actor's name, but he's in... Greg Kinnear. Greg Kinnear. He's in Stuck in Love. That's yeah. like what I remember him the most for because I've seen that movie so many fucking times. Yeah. So he's getting ready for work. He's talking to his girlfriend, Kathleen Kelly, a.k.a. Meg Ryan, about how technology has never led to anything good. There's some sort of like headline where in Virginia they took like Minesweeper and Solitaire off mm-hmm. of the computers because they were playing on the computer the whole day. And Kathleen is literally like electricity. Like, yeah. <laughs> I think that's pretty beneficial. There's some good things for sure. You can already kind of tell off the bat that Frank is like, he just thinks he's really smart. Yeah. So as soon as he leaves for work, Kathleen like looks through the peephole She's like, is he really gone? And then looks outside her window to see him walking down the sidewalk mm-hmm. and then secretively logs into her AIM account. Oh, my. AOL. She gets that dial-up connect mm-hmm. and she has mail. Oh, my gosh. Did you have dial-up back in the day? I can't remember. Like, it's possible that I had it when I was like a kid. Yeah. But I, I have no idea. Yeah, I know that I didn't – we didn't have it in China because, like, dial-up wasn't a thing there. Uh-huh. But I do remember that when I would visit my grandparents when I was a kid, because they lived on, like, a farm outside of a village, like, very, very small town vibes, and they had dial-up. So I remember whenever we were on the farm, like, if my dad needed to send an email or something, that's when they would use dial-up because I have such distinct memories of sitting – at that gigantic desktop computer and listening to the dial-up sounds. It sounds like I remember in Pen15 when they have that messaging episode. It's like, yeah, (laughs) it goes on for quite some time. Okay. My brother's telling me that we did. And I'm like, while I was alive, like (laughs) I don't remember it, but I guess we did. So we're all about the facts here. Got to make sure. (laughs) Got to be historically accurate. Yeah. So we then cut to Mr. Joe Fox, a.k.a. Tom Hanks. He's in his apartment, you know, enjoying his morning, and we hear the voiceover of his email that he is writing to Kathleen. Her screen name is Shop Girl. Just Shop Girl. So I'm like, damn, you're one of the first people to ever join AOL. No numbers. Yeah. (laughs) And his is NY152. So in his email, he's talking about his dog, Brinkley, how his dog, he has this like golden retriever, of course, like loves New York just as much as he does and talking about pizza and bagels and like, oh, Brinkley's a great catcher, blah, blah, blah. Then he's like, don't you just love New York in the fall? It makes me want to buy school supplies. (laughs) 
I would send you a bouquet of newly sharpened pencils if I knew your name and address. On the other hand, this not knowing thing has its charms. Oh my god! So, they are clearly pen pals who have met somehow on the internet. And uh, no names, no nothing. All they know is that they both live in New York. So that's when Joe's girlfriend. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Because they're both in relationships. <laughs> Patricia Eden, a.k.a. the phenomenal Parker Posey, she, like, rushes into the kitchen is like, where's my coffee? I'm late for work. I'm late for work. She mm-hmm. has a job in publishing and is clearly quite, like, uptight. She is kind of, like, going through the highlight reel of all the gossip about various people in publishing from, like, the paper. And that's when she reminds Joe about the pen dinner that they have tonight. It's black tie, so he is not thrilled about going. But she just goes and, like, sits on his lap and is like, please, please. And he's like, all right, all right. And then we have a very similar routine where as soon as she's out the door, he's, like, checking the people. He's listening to hear that she's in the elevator. And then he rushes to his computer, logs into AOL, and he's got mail. Mm. We hear um, Kathleen's email to him. She's like, I like to start my notes off to you as if we're already in the middle of a conversation. I pretend that we're the oldest and dearest friends, as opposed to what we actually are, people who don't know each other's names and met in a chat room where we both claimed we'd never been before. What will he say today, I wonder? I turn on my computer. I wait impatiently as it boots up. I hear nothing. Not even a sound on the streets of New York. Just the beat of my own heart. I have mail from you. Oh my God. Okay. Pretty hot. (laughs) Like, he's like, yeah, I like you. Like, he's like, I'll give you a bouquet of pencils. Like, I'm having a good day. But she's like, I can only hear the sound of my own heart (laughs) as I wait for mail from you. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah, my God. A regular Jane Austen over here. Exactly. So we see this montage of Kathleen and Joe on their way to their respective workplaces. The stores of New York are opening up and we hear the song Dream by the Cranberries. Incredible, (laughs) incredible choice. This movie has a really good soundtrack for sure. It does. I really love this montage. We have so many... Uh, moments where they like almost meet or they're like walking right by each other but in a city of a million faces who's to say Mm. so joe then goes into his construction site he's working at it's this like gigantic building and that's where he meets up with kevin who like unclear what his job actually is i thought at first he was just like a contractor but then he like sticks around after the building's done. At first, I thought he was the manager of the construction site. But then when the store opens, he's clearly running the store. Mm-hmm. Joe is like, oh, you need to like do stuff here. And he's like, oh, the store's running very smoothly. So I'm like, who are you? Yeah. I'm like, th- these seem like different jobs. Yeah. But Kevin is just going on about like all the things that are going wrong with this construction process and... Joe is, like, so out of it. He's clearly very distracted, just in euphoria about this email that he's gotten from Kathleen. And Kevin is like, dude, are you even listening? And he's like, oh, sorry, you know, I'm out of it today. You know, can't hear anything except for the beat of my own heart. And Kevin is like, oh, my God, did you and Patricia get engaged? And he's like, what, are you crazy? Oh, my God. Engaged to my girlfriend? 
That's nuts. Who I live with? <laughs> yeah. Whoa. So they then, you know, talk about how the building is going to be done before Thanksgiving. So they should announce the store opening soon. Maybe do some, like, neighborhood outreach. But because this store is opening on the Upper West Side, people are going to be really pissed off because Mm -hmm. at this time it's like all local businesses it's very anti like chain store joe is like you know what it's fine we'll just seduce them with the square footage the deep armchairs the quick checkouts the discounts and cappuccinos yeah so kathleen arrives where she works and she works at the shop around the corner a local children's bookstore She's in a great mood, and she tells her employee, Christina, She's, um, played by Miss Rhode Island in Miss Congeniality. Heather Burns. Yes. She's like, oh, Christina, it's a beautiful day. And Christina's like, what's wrong with you? Like, are you in love? And Kathleen's like, no, 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 no. And then remembers <laughs> that she is in a relationship with Frank, and she's like, Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm in love, of course. Yeah, my -hmm. boyfriend. And then Christina's like, well, I'm not going to be able to get any work done until you tell me what's going on. And Kathleen asks her if it's infidelity if you're involved with someone via email. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But this is like so – they're like on a new horizon. Like people are Mm. like, email? It's so foreign. Does it even exist? Right. And Christina asks if she's engaged in cyber sex and recommends not doing it. They lose all <laughs> respect for you as soon as you do it. Yeah. <laughs> Kathleen is like, oh, it's not like that. It's just email. But she's like just trying to convince herself that it, there's really nothing going on. Mm-hmm. But she knows there's something going on. So she's like, oh, maybe I should stop. Oh, yeah. There's like a full-blown emotional affair going on. Yeah. So Christina asks where they met, and Kathleen is like, well, when I turned 30, I wandered into this over 30 chat room as a joke, and we started talking. And they don't talk about anything personal, no names, no jobs, no addresses. So it'll be easy to stop seeing each other because they are technically not. And Christina is like shocked and intrigued by this and tells her that this guy could be anyone, even the next person to walk in through the door, who ends up being uh, George. A.K.A. Steve Zahn. Yeah. I'm like, White Lotus who? <laughs> and then Christina asks George if he's online. And he, <laughs> and he's like, um, well, in my opinion, the internet is just another way to get rejected by a woman. So probably not him. Yeah. If only men who thought like that just actually stayed off the internet instead of right. using it to like terrorize women. But oh unfortunately. <laughs> but unfortunately, no. we can't make the rules. <laughs> <laughs> so Bertie comes in and asks the ladies what they're talking about. We never really, again, know Bertie's exact role, but she mm-hmm. like works at the shop. She was very close with um, Kathleen's mom who started the bookstore and – She's also very rich. Like we find out later. I I don't know if she's kind of like a patron, benefactor, like investor person or Yeah, cuz she she kind of does like the numbers. She, you know, does the books at the bookstore. <laughs> does the books yeah. at the bookstore. <laughs> she we don't see her like stocking shelves or like talking to customers really. Right. Yeah, she's a bit of a mystery. We don't she's sort of like a surrogate mother, like second mother to Kathleen, since, spoiler alert, her mother has passed. Mm -hmm. 
So we then go over to the gigantic office of Fox Books where Joe is talking to these two older men who it took me like a minute to figure out who exactly they are. Yeah. But they're his father and grandfather because it is technically like Fox and Sons books. Yeah. So, you know, it's a father-son-son situation. And he's telling them about how the building should finish on time, but they're worried about the neighborhood response. Joe then, like, makes himself all cozy on this couch is asking about the fabric. And his dad is like, oh, yeah, my girlfriend Jillian picked it out. His grandfather tells Joe that his dad is getting married again. Like, they just throw all this information out so quick. I was like, yeah, who are you talking about? At first, when he was like, your father's getting married, I assumed his father was not in the room. Right. <laughs> Because he's not even gesturing over. He's not no. even like, oh, this one's – your father's getting married yeah. again. It's just so, like, nonchalant. Mm -hmm. So he's marrying this woman named Jillian. Apparently they have, like, a, a son together. Joe then changes the subject again. So I'm like, why did we go off on this weird tangent? And he's like, well, mm -hmm. there's a small bookshop called City Books on 23rd that's going under. Amazing news. We're going to buy a bunch of their stock for the store. And he wants to make this store, like, very New York-focused. So they're even going to have, like, a section based, like, just for writers who lived on the West Side. Mm -hmm. And, like, this moment is where I was kind of like, okay, so he's not just, like, I'm a cold-hearted businessman. He, like, actually, I think, does care about books more than he lets on. And he wants to make this store more personal. But he also, you know enjoys his money and i think he just enjoys being successful more than anything right i get that too but i also wish that they had just done a bit more with yeah. his love of books because really the only thing we see is like one in a comment he makes when kathleen is like oh you've never read pride and prejudice and he's like i have actually yeah but yeah yeah i feel like I mean, we'll talk about this more later, I'm sure, but I feel like they relied on, like, the real-life charm of Tom Hanks oh, to yeah. make this character more likable, because if yeah. he was played by anyone else, you'd be like, fuck this dude, all the way to the very end. And even still, I was kind of like, fuck this dude, all the way to the very end. Yeah. What's the guy, the actor who is in My Best Friend's Wedding? Dermot Mulroney. Oh, if he played this Oh, role? my God. <laughs> Oh, my, oh god. my god. Just the most angry man ever. <laughs> With his little snarly little face. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Joe's grandfather asks about, like, competition in the area for the new store. And he's like, oh, yeah, there's a mystery bookshop nearby called, like, Stealth or something. And then there's a children's bookshop across the street called The Shop Around the Corner. And his grandfather's like, oh, that's Cecilia's store. And he's like, who are you talking about? He's like, Cecilia Kelly. We might have had a date once or maybe we just exchanged letters. <laughs> and he's like, oh, she ended up being too young for me. But I'll tell you, she was enchanting. And her daughter actually owns the bookshop now. And I was like, oh, let me file this piece of information away because surely right. it's going to like become an important thing later. Mm -hmm. No, not at all. <laughs> it doesn't. Nothing happens. So Joe sends another email to Kathleen, and he talks about how his father is getting married again. Uh, he's been living with this woman, Jillian, for five years, who um, studied decorating at Caesar's Palace. 
LOL. I was like, is that a joke? I guess he's trying to say she has bad taste. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> then we get Kathleen's voiceover. Um, and she talks about how she read a story about a butterfly in the subway. And today she actually saw one. And I would not be able to believe it if I saw that. Like, I'd be like, am I seeing something? I mean, I've seen like various other animals in the subway, like birds and squirrels and stuff, but definitely not. A squirrel on, on this inside the car? Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I don't know if I could handle that. Well, yeah, I got off at the next stop. So yeah. Okay. <laughs> and just changed cars. Oh God. But it was just chill. It wasn't like running around. It was just chilling, but. Oh God. I saw once. Oh, I did not like this. Like a man. Well, he was younger, like mm-hmm. probably 20s or it could have been a teenager, honestly. And he was on the subway with his pet rats or mice or something like on his shoulders, like oh, hanging yeah. out. And I was like, I can't – like they seemed trained. Like they right. were on him. Like they weren't running about. But I was like – No. Just put them in a carrier or something. It's too yeah. much. <laughs> Yeah. It's too much for me. I saw a guy with – oh, I saw a guy with a snake around him one time. That was horrifying. Mm-hmm. I prefer a snake to the rats. Uh, it was the a big one, The rats are going to hate this announcement. <laughs> but the rats but the don't, rats run the don't own the city. We, we do. do. Um, oh, and I saw a woman just carrying a chicken, like an alive chicken. Whoa. That was pretty weird. I can't remember if I've seen this in person or if I've just seen it on social media. There's like a woman with a fucking possum. Mm. She's like a like a possum. The possum type lady. Yeah. She's like a pretty woman. Like she looked like a hottie, but she just had like her fucking possum with her. I'm like, <laughs> sometimes you don't need to own an animal that should just be in the wild. Yeah. Sometimes you just need to say, hey, I'm good. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, back to this. So it got on at 42nd and got off at 59th. And Nora, I can't, Jesus Christ. <laughs> the butterfly got on at 42nd and got off at 59th. And Kathleen makes a joke about it going to Bloomingdale's to buy a hat that it will inevitably want to return. And Joe and Kathleen just continue to chat about everything under the sun. They're talking about bagels, they're talking about Pride and Prejudice, Starbucks all while just missing each other. Like they're in the Mm -hmm. same areas. They're in the same Starbucks. Um, And they also make a comment about like people going to Starbucks and ordering this drink, which like makes them feel like an individual Mm -hmm. and like they have a personality, but it's like just a coffee order. Yeah. And I did find that pretty um, observant. Yeah, I, I liked that moment. I also couldn't help but wonder, like, does Starbucks have, like, a stake in this movie? Like, were they a sponsor? I know. <laughs> I'm like, the product placement. <laughs> Jesus. And it was also kind of surprising. Like, I feel like they Why would, would she us- go to Starbucks exactly. as a local business owner? Exactly. That's w- exactly what I was going to say. Very because fake-ish. you would think that she would be like, let me support my local coffee shop exactly I'm like a fixture of this neighborhood she clearly like has lived in that neighborhood her whole life i assume that her apartment that she lives in is the one that she grew up in because it's simply I too so nice too. <laughs> but gigantic yeah gigantic he's like how much sales do you do in a year We're like three hundred fifty thousand. Mm-hmm. this later on but yeah. i'm like if we you know run you the numbers like on that <laughs> three employees i'm like yeah so your mom bought the apartment, which God bless her soul. Yeah. And now you own it. 
because that's impossible to keep otherwise. Yeah. So we go to Fox Books. And on Kathleen's way into um, her bookshop, she, like, doesn't notice the sign or anything. But on George's way to work, he notices. So Kathleen, Christina, and George go see the building where Fox Books will be. And Kathleen reminds them that this is, like, a big box store. It's impersonal. They specialize in customer service. And, like, they know their clients. And it's a totally different game. Like, she's not worried. So, I know. (laughs) So, Kathleen goes to lunch with Birdie and tells her how she doesn't view Fox Books as competition. And she thinks this will make their area the book district. You know, like – more bookstores popping up. People are going to like come to this area more. Where This is a good thing. And one of her points is that if Fox Books doesn't have the item, they will. And they'll come to their bookstore. But Birdie is like, it works the other way too. Yeah. Also, I can't imagine there's a ton of gaps in this three-story Gigantic, uh, yeah. bookstore's inventory. And the bookstore is also... Like, 20% off, 30% off. Mm-hmm. So it's looking a tad bleak. Unfortunately, Kathleen Kelly is definitely somebody who falls prey to uh, toxic positivity, I would say. Where I'm like, I get you're trying to see the best. Toxic positivity. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. But, you know, it's a, it's a little bit to her detriment, I think. Agreed. So later that night, we're at Kathleen's apartment and Frank is saying, you know, when Fox Books goes under, you'll be responsible for reversing the entire course of the Industrial Revolution. And she's like, oh, that's very sweet. Thank you. And um, as they hug, she notices that there is a typewriter on the table. And he's like, oh, my God, like, listen to this. Like, put your ear down close to it so they can hear, like, the whirring sound. (laughs) And she's like... Hmm, that sounds familiar. And then we look across the table where there is another typewriter. An identical typewriter. Yeah, that he already (laughs) owns. And she's like, and don't you have another one back at your apartment too? The man loves his typewriter. What can you say? He's a fan of traditional media. Yeah. So they kind of just go back to the prior conversation about Fox Books. And Kathleen wonders like what it is that she does at work exactly. Like all it is is running a children's bookstore. But Frank says, no, it's incredibly noble. You're a lone read. And then he like rushes to his typewriter and starts typing how she's a lone read, standing tall Mm -hmm. and waving boldly in the corrupt sands of commerce. Yeah. He said that. (laughs) Yeah. She just kind of like looks at the paper and she's like, I'm a lone read. Okay. (laughs) That's not really the romantic thing you want to hear from your partner. No, not particularly. So she then sits down at her laptop and writes to Joe and says that she leads a small, valuable, but small life and wonders if she does it because she likes it or if it's because she's just not brave. Mm. She says that it reminds her of something that she's read in the in a book when it should be the other way around. Like books are more exciting than her current life and that's mm. not the way that it should be. I don't know if we, like, explicitly said this, but Frank is a writer. Yes. So that's why he's, like, got to get my typewriters Mm -hmm. and, oh, lone read. Like, I'm so smart. Yeah. But it's weird because he doesn't do – there are moments that he has where 
it's so clear that he wants to be lauded for his work mm-hmm. and he likes to be known for his writing. Yes. But he doesn't really come off as an asshole. Like, I really do think he genuinely tries to be a good person and stuff. He just mm-hmm. has these moments where it's like, okay, it's not about you. Yeah. And he has a lot of moments where <laughs> he's kind of like hypocritical. Like, there's one moment in particular we'll see later where he's like, oh, you're taping this, right? You're taping this, right? And then, like, on the TV, mm-hmm. you can hear him saying how, like, VCR is horrible and, like, shouldn't be used and stuff. So yeah. there's a little, like, lack of awareness with this one. Mm-hmm. Then after this, we go to the marina. Mm-hmm. What? Oh my God. Joe is cleaning his boat, and he sees Annabelle and Matt. I was so confused about their relationship, but we yeah. find out later who they are to him, so don't worry about it right now. Yeah. <laughs> and he greets them. They clearly love him. And Jillian, who is his stepmom, or about to be stepmom, yeah. asks for a hello, and Joe tries to kiss her on the cheek, but she literally kisses him on the lips. Weirdo behavior. Yeah. <laughs> She's like a really put-together, beautiful woman pretty much around joe's age yeah jillian also brought the nanny maureen in case joe couldn't handle the kids and annabelle tells joe that maureen is getting a divorce and maureen's like oh yeah never marry a man who lies and then giggles and then joe tells them that they can just have the rest of the day off like he's got it from here And says, you must be late for something. Volunteer work at the Henry Street Settlement. uh, Packing bandages for Bosnian refugees. And Jillian is like, actually, I'm having my eggs harvested. Oh, my God. (laughs) So there's like a lot of weird tension, like flirtation coming from her, resentment Mm -hmm. coming from him. It's just all very convoluted. Yeah, it's bad news bears all around. Yeah. So the next thing we see is this like little street fair that's going on. Joe I is this is so cute. <laughs> yeah. They have like little stands and stuff. It's really sweet. Joe is playing with the kids. They like do some fair games, some face painting. They take photos in like a turkey cutout because it's it's like Thanksgiving time. Mm-hmm. And um they ride the rides. And again, I really think that they're having the fact that he has a dog and the fact that he's good with kids do a lot of the oh, legwork yeah. to make him likable. <laughs> a lot of heavy lifting. They're like, but he, how can he be bad? Kids yeah. love him and, and animals too. And he has a golden retriever for crying out loud. And I'm like, yeah. but look at his actions, people. Look at what he does and what he says. It's like the dudes who um, who have like pictures of dogs in their dating app profiles <gasps> to make you think that they have a dog and then Red they dog dog fishing that big, yeah <laughs> wow that's i've fully had that happen to me i mean this was years ago now but yes yeah fully been i've been a victim to dog fishing <laughs> it was hard yeah i don't know how i'll ever recover but <laughs> yeah so as they're you know jaunting around the neighborhood they pass by a little shop on the corner and they see that Story Lady, Storybook Lady, is doing a reading right now. So they go into Whoa. Kathleen's shop. Yes. And of course, that Storybook Lady is Kathleen herself. And she is reading a rolled doll book, Boy, Tales of Childhood. So she reads the book. Annabelle, Matt, and Joe are all like sitting crisscross applesauce on the carpet. Mm-hmm. And Joe seems like enthralled. Again, 
one of those like conventions to make him just seem super endearing to us. Yeah. And then after the story, um, Joe looks at some books and Kathleen provides recommendations to Annabelle. At one point, they include a scene that has like no bearing on the plot, but I guess is to show just how like dedicated they are as a bookstore. George is looking at like this rare book. I think it's like a first edition Mm -hmm. of a children's storybook or something. But it's never talked about again. Well, I think that the reason they have this in here is because they want to show the difference in like business ideology between the two places because Mm -hmm. Joe is like, oh, this is expensive. Like I think George is explaining some sort of like special thing about the book. And he's like, oh, so that's why it's so expensive. And or like that's why it costs so much. And then Mm -hmm. George says that's why it's worth that much. Yeah. So there's a difference between like just the dollar, the bottom line, and like, oh, this this book has value and worth of that amount. For sure. And it's already so clear, too, as soon as you walk in that it's more of a community space mm-hmm. than their big box store is going to be. It, it makes me think of the, the concept of like third place, which is that everybody should have three places. Like there's your home, there's your I guess like your job or something and then you should have a third place you can go to to like connect with community or to be outside and stuff and for a lot Mm -hmm. of people that's like bookstores or or libraries libraries are are like a big one because that's not like a business where you necessarily are there to like spend money and while this of course is a business it is more of a community where they hold events and stuff like that. So Kathleen's bookstore is a great idea of like a third place. Yeah. But like the the reason that third place is kind of a phenomenon right now is because for a lot of people that used to be church, but now church is not like as much of a oh, fixture. Fascinating. Um, for like all communities. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I recommend looking up the, the concept of third place. Did you learn about that in a class, like in college or? No, just- I read. I read an article about it. I think I saw an article about it on Twitter like a couple of years ago. Oh, interesting. I was reading about it. Yeah. Then we go back to Annabelle, who's like gathering all these books up, and Kathleen's like, "Oh, that's a lot of books for your dad to buy all at once." And Annabelle's like, "Oh yeah, my dad gets me all the books I want." She's like, "Money is no object," and Kathleen is like, "Well, that's very nice." And looks over at Joe, but Annabelle is like, oh, no, that's actually my nephew. <laughs> and the con- the pieces begin to yeah. connect. So Kathleen is like, um, I don't think that's possible. But Joe is like, oh, yeah, it's true. Matt is my dad's son. And Annabelle is my grandfather's daughter. And he's like, we're an American family. And it's really fucking funny, though, when... She looks over at Matt and then Matt's like, he's my brother. That's like two or three years old. Like he's a child. He's not two. He's like five or six. I don't know how to tell kids ages. Like if there's one thing about me, I will literally call a six-year-old, a two-year-old and like vice versa. I do not. I'm not good at children's ages at all. Okay. Let me, let me break it down for you. A two-year-old has not yet started kindergarten. That's true. A lot of two-year-olds are they can still walk. not potty trained yet fully. Oh, okay. Yeah. You think he's five or six? I would guess he's like six and Annabelle is like nine. He just looks so tiny. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Any any parents in the chat, please I'm sound like, off. And Matt is two years old. And we just turned to Matt. He's like, ah. <laughs> 
He's the peanut butter baby in the corner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, my oh, gosh. How t- oh, and this is uh, this is my brother. He is 24 months. <laughs> Jesus. Anyways. What are you talking about? Maybe. After this exchange, Annabelle sneezes and Kathleen offers her a handkerchief. But Annabelle's like, what is that? I just use like my disposable Kleenex tissues. Because mm, I'm rich. I use dollar <laughs> bills, actually. And Kathleen is like, oh my God, do kids even know what handkerchiefs are anymore? And she actually shows Annabelle that like this is her handkerchief. You know, her mom embroidered it for her. There's like a special flower on it for her. Daisies, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, daisies. And Joe asks who she is, and Kathleen is like, I'm Kathleen. Like, I own this bookstore. What's your name? And he's like, Joe, uh, we'll, we'll just take these books. Thank you. <laughs> and George is like, are you going to come back? And Joe's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and George is like, this is why we won't go under. You know, we have loyal customers. Yeah, row. Mm-hmm. So Annabelle – is then about to spill the beans because Kathleen is like, oh, yeah, there's a Fox Books opening up across the store. And she's like, oh, my daddy, my daddy. And then he's like, your daddy loves to buy books for you. So much. Yeah. He loves it. <laughs> <laughs> then, like, Matthew comes over. He starts spelling the only word that he knows how to spell, which is F-O-X. And Kathleen is like, wow, you're such a good speller. Like, can you spell dog? And he's like, F-O-X. She's like, can you spell cat? And he's like, F-O-X. And she's like, what a delightful young child. And Joe's like, (laughs) shut the fuck up. He's like, you're going to blow up my spot. So (laughs) he then like pushes the kids to the other side of the store and is like, just stay over here. Don't listen to anything that I'm about to say. He he actually does say that. (laughs) Yeah. He goes back to the register and, you know, continues with this conversation with Kathleen. And she says that, you know, the world isn't about discounts. There's so much more to that. And talks about how growing up, she used to like help her mom in the bookstore. And she would always just watch how her mom would help people become whoever they're going to like turn out to be because books that you read when you're a kid are so formative, like they really shape the person that you become. Um, which I thought was like a really beautiful sentiment as well. And she's talking about her mother. Joe says, enchanting, like your mother was enchanting. Mm-hmm. And she asks how he knew that he's using his grandfather's words, which is the only time that this comes back into play. There's no plot point with the grandfather at any other point. It's literally just that he has the word enchanting now. Yeah. And he's like, oh, because of that picture right behind you. And it's a picture of Kathleen and her mother when Kathleen was a kid. Her mom is twirling her. And she's like, oh, yeah, like we used to twirl around the store all the time. And she explains that her mom left the store to her and she plans to leave it to her daughter. And Joe is like, oh, how old's your daughter? And she says, oh, no, I'm, I'm not married. I don't, I don't have a daughter yet. But, you know, mm-hmm. someday. And then she says that Fox Books can go to hell. And he's like, Mm. LOL. So he then gets his total for his books at $73. And he is shocked at the price tag because obviously he charges less over at Fox Books. Yeah. And on the way out, he has like all these balloons and also a, a bagged goldfish that they won from the fair. So... He's like juggling the the balloons and the fish and the bag of books 
and Kathleen is like, hey, Matt, can you spell out cat? And he just goes, F-O-X. And Joe, like, shoves him out of, out the door. The balloons, like, get caught in the door, and one of them pops, I think. And he's like, oh, good thing it wasn't the fish, which was, of course, an improv line. They kept it in there. Fast forward a bit. Fox Books opens. It's huge. Barnes & Noble, you know? Yep. <laughs> And Joe is talking to Kevin, his dad, and his grandfather, and he's like, we've had a great opening, no protests. And they ask how the children's department is going, and Joe is like, well, it's still early, like school isn't out yet, and there's a children's bookstore around the corner, and his grandfather's like, oh, yes, Cecilia's store. I think we went out with her once. And then, like, totally again, (laughs) passed right over. I I can't help but wonder if there was some sort of subplot that just got, like... Cut out or something, maybe? Cut, yeah. It's just so weird. Yeah. And Joe does say that her daughter Kathleen owns it now, and his grandfather is like, "Uh, that Cecilia was enchanting. Meanwhile, over at Kathleen's store, Birdie is crunching those numbers, and she tells them that they've already made $1,200 less this week. Like than they did last year, like year over year this week, last mm. year, they made $1,200 more. And Kathleen is like, oh, you know, it could be a fluke, but whatever. That Fox Books, it's just new. It's a novelty. It'll totally wear off. Babes, you got to confront the situation. <laughs> but <laughs> Christina is very worried about not being able to find another job and not being able to make rent and then having to move to, oh, heaven forbid, Brooklyn, George then mentions, fucking insane, that he has a six-bedroom apartment for four fifty because it's rent-controlled. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. insane. And so Christina obviously is annoyed that he is bringing this up because it's not helpful. That's an insane, <laughs> insane deal. Mm-hmm. And Kathleen is uh, is at the front of the store when she actually notices Laura, who is a children's book author. She comes in and is like, oh my God, are you guys open? She's like, yes, yes. Actually, we're super excited about your new book. When can we schedule your signing? And she says, oh, the book doesn't come out till January. Are you guys going to still be in business in January? What a thing to say. I know. As someone who's gone to that bookstore for signings before. To be like, oh, are you going to survive? And Kathleen's like, yeah, we're doing great. No change whatsoever. And Laura's like, oh, thank God. Well, like you can count on me for anything. Support, rallies, picket lines. You know, maybe we can get even get the times to write something or that nut from the independent. And Kathleen's like, which, which, which one? Which nut? And she's like, oh, yeah, that Frank. He it seems totally like the kind of thing he would want to write about. Yeah. We go to Frank and Kathleen, and Kathleen tells Frank all about what Miranda said and wonders why she thinks the store is in trouble, like there's enough business for everyone. Her and Frank just reassure each other as they go upstairs to this like friend's party that everything is going to be okay. They get into the party. Who else should be there but Mr. Joe Fox and Patricia don't know her last name. Eden. And Eden. Oh, yeah, because Eden, yeah. He notices Kathleen immediately and keeps an eye on her from across the room as he goes to get Patricia a new drink. But they end up meeting at the drink area and 
um, she's like, oh, hello. And he's like, hi, got a blast. Got to get this drink back. Like rushes off. Mm-hmm. And then Kathleen is approached by her friend and he's like, oh, I can't believe you were talking to Joe Fox. Like yeah. your arch enemy, nemesis. <laughs> Kathleen is shocked. Yeah. So she goes over to Joe at the buffet to confront him. And she's just like, I can't believe who you are. And he quotes the Godfather. And he's like, you didn't know who you were with. And when she doesn't get it, he has to like explain the reference and the horse head scene. It's just like doesn't land. Yeah. And Kathleen accuses him of spying on her since she is his competition. And I'm like, oh, uh, if only. Yeah. She does say, though, on one of their signs, it says um, the phrase, like, just around the corner. And he's like, that's because there's a side entrance. Like, what were we supposed to say? Yeah. So as they're at this buffet area, he then, like, scoops the caviar garnish off the side of a dish. Really nasty thing to do. Yeah. And so she tells him off for it and is like, I can't believe you're taking all the caviar. Like, it's a garnish. And then so he just, like, scrapes the whole thing off and puts it on his plate. And I'm like, you nasty little man. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, I just came into your store because I wanted to buy the kids some presents. You know, I like to buy my way into the hearts of my relatives who are children. And <laughs> there was, at the time, only one place in the neighborhood. And it was a charming little bookstore. You probably sell what? Like, 350k worth of books a year and she's like how do you know that and he's like well i'm in the book business and she's like no i'm in the book business yeah they do have great chemistry i will say as much as Mm -hmm. i don't like joe the the chemistry do be bouncing off the walls yeah they kind of go like there's a little tete-a-tete happening yeah so joe says that fox books is a price club Except instead of giant vats of olive oil, they sell cheap books. So her store isn't exactly a threat to them. Frank then comes over and meets Joe, knows, like, realizes who he is. And he does actually stand up for Kathleen. He's like, oh, you are the enemy of the Midlist novel and destroyer of city books. And how do you sleep at night? And then Patricia comes over and she's like, oh, I use Ultradorm. It's over the counter. Stinging. Yeah. She then recognizes Frank because she read his last piece in The Observer about Anthony Powell and says it was brilliant. It introduces herself. And any sort of um, indignation that Frank has against these two is gone because he's been flattered. Yes. (laughs) And he's like, oh, my God, like you read my piece. That's so crazy. Um, Um, Tell me more. What did you like about it then? (laughs) And Patricia's like, oh, Joe, Frank is the greatest living expert on Julius and Ethel Rosenberg. And Joe, like, introduces Kathleen. But Frank just, like, doesn't even give a second thought to his girlfriend. He's just going on and on about, like, oh, my God, I can't believe you read my work. Like, you always hope that someday someone will come up to you and say they like their work. But then the phone doesn't ring. And, like, here you are. (laughs) And Patricia's like, oh, my God, I'm so delighted to meet you. Have you ever thought about doing a book? And he's like, actually, I have thought about doing a book. And both Kathleen and Joe, like, pull their respective partners away because they Mm -hmm. obviously want to exit this conversation. And they're like, oh, call me, call you. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll stay in touch. We'll stay in touch. Both of them interesting people. So 
I honestly thought that they were planting the seeds for the two of them to get together. I did too. I did too. But I guess that would be too obvious. I don't know. But one thing that I do like about this scene, which we kind of talked about in our When Harry Met Sally episode, about how rom-coms of this time just have these like really long sequences of just dialogue, which you don't get to see as much anymore. Mm -hmm. And this is like a a very lengthy scene. People are just talking. They're just chatting. Yeah. It's It's a great way for us to get to know character, get to understand like the relationships. So once again, hats off to Nora Ephron. Yeah. Great conversational writer. Mm-hmm. Really capturing the Chekhovian slice of mm-hmm. life. Yes, yes. <laughs> so we go to Joe's apartment and Patricia's like, oh my God, I can't believe how down to earth Frank was. And then they turn off the lights. She's immediately out. Like, no hesitation. That medicine is working for her. Yeah, I'm like, can I get some of that? Because Yeah, what the hell? Lord knows I need it. (laughs) (laughs) So Joe goes over to his computer and he writes to Shop Girl. Mm. And he's like, I feel like I'm becoming the worst version of myself. Um, When someone provokes you, instead of moving on all your secret, shameful parts, arrogance, spite, condescension, come out and you zing them. But surely, like, you wouldn't understand that. And Kathleen writes back um, that she knows what he means and she is actually jealous of him because when she's provoked, she gets tongue-tied and her mind goes blank. And then she spends all night figuring out what she could have said. For example, to the bottom dweller who recently belittled her existence, even days later, like she's still blank, doesn't know what she would have said. Mm -hmm. And he says it would be great if he could pass all of his fingers to her He'd never behave badly, and she would all the time, and they would both be happy. But he does say that when she has the pleasure of getting one out, that remorse always follows because he, like, feels remorseful after being a jerk. Yeah. And then he's like, should we meet? (laughs) And Kathleen is shocked to see this. She doesn't respond. She closes her laptop. So in the morning – Joe is in his local Starbucks, which is also Kathleen's local Starbucks. And when he sees her come in, he like hides his face with the newspaper and rushes out. Kathleen later on like sees him walking down the street. She hides behind some flowers at the flower stand. So they are now acutely aware of each other, Mm -hmm. even though they pass by each other a million bajillion times. She then even sees him in Zabar. She has to, like, rush away to avoid him. Except she keeps, like, coming across him again and again, even when she's in line. And she finally gets up to pay. And the cashier is Sarah Ramirez, a.k.a. Callie Torres from Grey's Anatomy, or Che Diaz from And Just Like That. (laughs) And the cashier, Rose, is like, excuse me, miss, like, you're in the cash-only line because Kathleen is trying to pay with her credit card. And the guy behind her is super pissed off. He's like, hey, lady, it's the cash-only line. What the hell? And Kathleen is like, I'm so sorry. I have literally $1 in cash. Can you please make an exception? And then Joe, being the sarcastic, condescending white knight, comes up out of nowhere and is like, hey, um, do you need money? And she's like, no. But obviously she does. So Joe 
addresses the cashier and is like, Rose, what a beautiful name. I'm Joe. This is Kathleen. <laughs> and the guy behind them is like, and I'm Bobby. What's it to you? And he's like, <laughs> well, that's not really his name, but. <laughs> I love this like angry New York man in the Zayabars line. Yeah. Joe then plays this like knock knock joke that leads up to the punchline. Orange, you're going to give us a break by zipping this credit card through the little credit card machine. Yeah. And Rose is, for some reason, charmed by this. I would be so annoyed if I was working a cashier job and the guy came up and did this. Aren't you going to – yeah. Aren't you going to get the fuck out of my face is what I would want to say. (laughs) But – Right. She smiles and she's like, okay. And he's like, Rose, great name. Happy Thanksgiving, Kathleen. And then walks off. Yeah. So, I mean, he did save the day. I also noticed after this exchange, like, Rose is endeared with Joe, but not with Kathleen. Like, not at all. (laughs) Everyone is fucking pissed at Kathleen. I'm like, this poor woman, she's been nothing but nice. Like, she felt very, very bad. Yeah. She made, like, a tiny mistake that I'm sure has happened a bajillion times. She's got a lot on her mind right now. Yeah. So, at Thanksgiving... Annabelle does a performance of Tomorrow from Annie for the family. It's like very cute. Something that I would I would view as cringe, but it's adorable. She's a little girl. Yeah. <laughs> she's she's enjoying herself, so. Yeah. In the audience essentially, like Jillian is putting her leg on Joe's knee. You were with his dad. It's just so, so weird. So gross. At Kathleen's Thanksgiving, um, they're also having a sing-along with Christina, Frank, George, um, George Estate, and Birdie is on the piano, and they're doing like this little sing-along back and forth thingy. It's far less formal. Yes. Later on, I don't know how many days later this is, but Birdie looks in the window of the Fox bookstore and sees a sign that says that Miranda Margulies is doing her book signing in January there. Very sneaky move. Yeah. What happened to the picketing and the right, support right. and the boycotting, Miranda? Mm-hmm. So Kathleen decorates the Christmas tree in the shop as a regular walks by and says hi. But she also sees a ton of like Fox bookstore bags past her window. So Kathleen writes an email to Joe where she quotes the song River by Joni Mitchell because, you know, Thanksgiving has passed. It's now Christmas time. River is a really sad song. Have you heard Very this song? Sad. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh Very sad song. I'm like, I just registered that. I'm like, Kathleen, are you good girl? No, she's not. She's not. So she oh. writes to Joe about this song and says she was thinking about it while decorating her Christmas tree and missing her mother. And she always misses her mother at Christmas, but it's even worse this year since she needs advice from her for her to make her some cocoa and tell her that everything's going to work out. Jesus Christ, I want cocoa so bad just after saying <laughs> that. I'm going to have to make that happen later. Anyways. Cocoa. Um, <laughs> well, because I, I just got uh, – I have like a little a little packet of like maple hot chocolate that I want to yeah. It's like over on my windowsill. Mm-hmm. Anyways, so Joe is like, what kind of advice do you need? Maybe I can help. And she says, oh, I, she starts typing out like, oh, I wish you could help when he decides to take the relationship to the next level and sends her an instant message. Whoa. And he's like, I had a gut feeling that you would be online. 
I'm great at advice. And she's like, oh, if only you could help. And he could. He, he very Little much could. Does she know. Yeah. He doesn't want to, though. But mm-hmm. <laughs> he asks if it's about love, and she says, no, her business is in trouble. And he's like, oh, my God, my area of expertise. Like, I'm a brilliant businessman. He literally, in his room, like, does the, like, on his fingertips. Yeah. Like, let's, ooh, we're digging in now. <laughs> yeah. So she's like, well, I can't tell you specifics, remember? And he's like, okay, well, without specifics, all I can say is go to the mattresses, which is, again, another quote from The Godfather and says that it means you have to go to war. And she's <laughs> she says to herself, what is it with men and The Godfather? And I'm like, same, girly. I, too, am wondering that. I've also never I, seen the movie. It's favorite movies. <laughs> yeah. You've never seen The Godfather? No. Oh, we have to watch it. <laughs> it's really good. I'm sure it is. I just, I have no desire to see it. I'm sure it's yeah. great. I don't doubt it, but I don't know. Well, I mean, Diane Keaton is in yeah. it. She's like the love interest. It's like, uh, <laughs> so much. Because it's not just about like war and fighting. It's like about like family and, and love and like mm. providing. I don't know. Anyways. So she asks him, like, what is the deal with men and the Godfather? And he's like, what is the deal with the Godfather? Oh, my God. And he's like, <laughs> like he's like cycling through every single quote he could possibly use. His brain be broken <laughs> by that sentence. Mm-hmm. And he's like, it's the sum of all wisdom. It's the answer to any question. And just starts throwing like every single quote out there that he can. And to me, that's insufferable. But he says that she's at war, it's not personal, it's business, and she needs to mm-hmm. keep saying that to herself as she fights to the death. So Frank comes home and she immediately slams that laptop shut, tosses it on the bed. She tells him that it's time to go to the mattresses and asks him to write a piece about her store. And he says, yes, I would love to. Which I did think was nice of him to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, he's he's not a bad dude. He's just not the right dude. Yeah. I think that's the problem. Yeah. So at the shop, Kathleen is practicing her fighting. She's literally <laughs> like, punch, punch, punch. I think maybe, like, it's either Christina or Birdie is like, oh, the Channel 2 truck is here. The store is packed. Birdie is reading Frank's piece about... Uh, David Goliath's struggle of like Fox's big box store and their small bookshop taking place and how Kathleen's bookshop will save their soul. Like the way he words it is very romantic and justice inducing, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. People are picketing outside Fox books like children and being like, one, two, three, four, don't shop at Fox anymore. And Kathleen addresses the crowd and rallies the protesters and they're like, we don't want this place to turn into a strip mall. We need to save the store. So we then go later to the gym where Joe and Kevin are on the treadmill watching a news report where Kathleen is being interviewed. And Joe is like, oh, I've met that woman. Like, she's such a pill. And Kevin is like, yeah, she probably isn't even as good looking as she is on TV. And Joe is like, no, no, she she is beautiful, but she's a pill. <laughs> so 
Kevin asks if Joe feels bad for sending her out of business, and Joe says it's not personal, it's just business. Then the news report cuts to Joe for his portion of the segment, and he just, the only clip that they show of him is him saying, I sell cheap books, I do, so sue me, and then it cuts away, and they're like, (laughs) and that's it in a nutshell. And uh, he's really pissed off because they cut out all the other stuff he said about how, like, they have this huge inventory and he's creating a piazza for like community building, whatever, yeah, whatever. People could stay however long they want. Yeah. And then on TV, Kathleen says that she's met Joe Fox and she's heard him compare his store to a price club and his books to olive oil. And Joe <laughs> is in shock, so much so that he falls off his treadmill. So Frank is interviewed about his piece on TV and talks about how Kathleen's store has a Jeffersonian purity to it that the city needs to maintain historical integrity. And I'm like, okay, your highfalutin words. Um, And then they're watching this like as it's airing and he's like, Kathleen, like, are you taping this? You're taping this, right? Meanwhile, on the screen, we hear Frank talk about how, like, the VCR is evil. You leave your house so you don't watch TV, and then you get the tape, and it's like, what was the point of leaving the house? Mm-hmm. And the man is clearly on one. The interviewer, though, is enthralled. She's like, wow, incredible. <laughs> and he's like, the shop around the corner is a New York treasure. And she's like, as are you. Oh I'd God. love to have you back. And they're just like all smiling. I think she's playing with her hair. Yeah. And yeah, they just both get flustered on TV. Yeah. He's like, well, your show's the only one that I do watch. She's like, oh my God. And they like trip over their words. I was like, Jesus Christ, save it for the green room. Right. And Kathleen is like, oh, she's totally coming on to you. And he's like, no, 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 no. So we go back to the shop couple days later and kathleen sits with birdie to talk about the numbers shockingly birdie says that they haven't seen the slightest difference in sales that's crazy yeah so kathleen is at a loss and asks what her mom would have done and birdie actually has this locket that she opens up with a picture of cecilia and is like cecilia what should we do and holds it up to her ear and then birdie says she says she has no idea, but the window display is lovely. Aww. So things are looking pretty bleak. Kathleen writes to Joe that she needs help, and if he still wants to meet, she would love to. And he says yes. Ooh. So Joe is on his way to meet, and he's with Kevin. And Kevin asks Joe, what if she's ugly? And Joe is like... Listen, I'm only staying, having one cup of coffee, and then I'm leaving. And he's just, like, freaking out. He's like, I don't know why I'm doing this. And Kevin is like, this happens in all my relationships. You know, you just take it to the next level, and you take it to the next level, and you keep doing that until it becomes necessary to leave. And Joe finally makes it to the cafe and says – this woman is the most adorable person he's ever come across. So if she turns out to be even as good looking as a mailbox, he'd be crazy to not risk it all, turn his life upside down and marry her. Wow. And then he's like, Kevin, please just check through the window. Like, please just tell me what she looks like. (laughs) So Kevin does. And 
he's like, hmm. I think like he can't see her at first. There's like a waiter in the way. But then once the waiter moves, he's like, ooh. <laughs> Joe is thrilled to hear that she's pretty. But as we notice, it's Kathleen. Kevin is like, uh, you know, she almost has the same uh, coloring as that Kathleen Kelly you said was so attractive. And Joe's like, yeah, yeah. Well, what, what? who cares about her? And Kevin is like, well, I think that if you don't like Kathleen Kelly, then you will not like this girl because it is the same girl. <laughs> so Joe rushes up to see for himself and decides to stand her up. Boo. He's like, I'm going home. Tomato, tomato. Coward shit. Yeah. Rotten cabbage. So... Kathleen is sitting in this cafe all by herself, like, adjusting the book and the flower, waiting. Her business is going under. She yep. got into the wrong line at Zabar's, mm-hmm. and now she's getting stood up for a date. Like, what the hell? For, with someone she's been having an emotional affair with for months? Yeah. Come on. Joe walks into the cafe. Kathleen sees him and immediately tries to hide her face and is like, oh, God, this one again. And Joe walks over, pretending that it's a coincidence, like, oh, how crazy we're both here. Let me sit down. She says, no, I'm expecting someone, but he doesn't care and notices that she's reading Pride and Prejudice. Because I don't know if we really like talked about it before, but she brings up Pride and Prejudice to him in their emails mm-hmm. and is like, oh, it's like one of my favorite books. I read it every year and I always like sit there tossing and turning over whether or not Darcy and Elizabeth are actually going to end up together. You Ah. should read it. And we see that he does read it. He's like, oh, I bet you read it every year and you just love that Mr. Darcy and the whole love story with uh, the, what's her name? And then he sits down and orders a coffee and decides he's going to stay until her, her guest arrives. And Kathleen is like, um, the heroine is Elizabeth Bennet, and she is one of the greatest, most complex characters ever written, not that you would know. And he says that he actually has read it, and she would discover a lot if she really knew him. But she says, if she knew him, she knows exactly what she would find. And this is pretty scathing. Instead of a brain, it'd be a cash register, and instead of a heart, a bottom line. Ouch. So she is, like, shocked that she herself has said this and is like, oh, my God, I just had a break, a breakthrough. For the first time, when confronted with somebody horrible and insensitive, I knew exactly what I wanted to say, and I said it. Mm. And he's like, well, you certainly, uh, you certainly have a gift for it. That was the perfect mix of poetry and meanness. But he says he means that as a compliment. Yeah, it was pretty good scathing scathing zinger to make yeah so then he starts playing with her rose and she's like everything is a joke to you and she's just like please please leave me i beg of you he actually moves to the table just behind her kathleen dabs her lips with her hanky and then joe turns around and he's like hmm it reminds me of the first day i met you And she tells him it was the first day he lied to her. He wouldn't give his last name like some weird 22-year-old cocktail waitress. And he's like, I'm not a 22-year-old cocktail waitress. And when I said the price club thing, that is not what I meant. And Kathleen perks up somewhat when someone walks in. 
And Joe is like, who exactly are you waiting for? Certainly it isn't Frank. Do you plan to be mean to him too? And she's like, no, the man coming here tonight is kind and funny. And Joe points out that he isn't here. And Kathleen is like, well, then he must have a very good reason because there is not a cruel or careless bone in his body. But he would not understand that. I do feel like he's torturing her. Oh, absolutely. I'm like, why are you like this? Yeah, it's – he gets like some kind of weird pleasure out of it. Like he knows how much pride and prejudice means to her. So he's like, oh, let me make fun of that. Mm-hmm. He knows that she's been stood up and he's like, oh, let me just dig the knife in. So I'm like – Right. I'm supposed to root for this? Yeah. It's just – it's not – I think that they made him a little too – Unlikable. Cruel. Yeah. And they didn't start the – I mean, we'll talk about this later, but they don't start the turnaround until, like, really late in the movie. Yeah. So it's hard for me to get on board. I mean, from this part, we have, like, six pages left of notes out of 16. Yeah. So if that makes – yeah. Yeah. It does come way later when they actually begin to enjoy each other's company. But I think for me the big difference between, like – Harry met Sally, which is also kind of like enemies to lovers mm-hmm. situation, is that they have that they end up having this really long friendship and yeah. kind of really have this sense of the other person as soon as they reconnect. Yeah, I feel like we we bypass over the friends portion so quickly in this movie that I think we could have sacrificed a lot of the back and forth of like, oh, I'm trying to put you out of business. Oh, you're trying to put me out of business. Like, I get it. Mm-hmm. We get the conceit of it. Like we can trim some of this down so we can invest in the more interesting stuff later yeah that's just my two cents i agree so kathleen says he's fooled himself into thinking he's bringing books to the masses but no one will remember him and maybe not her either but plenty of people will remember her mother and that her store was something special he's nothing but a suit joe is clearly hurt at this point yeah. And he's like, that's my cue and wishes her good night and leaves. I was actually surprised that he was hurt by this because I feel like he is so stinging that this would just be like, ah, business is business, whatever. But he does love her or like her at least at this point. Yeah. But the way that it's, I don't know, I just can't get behind the sneaky feels manipulative to me. Oh, totally. Yeah. Especially like what comes later on when he, is actively manipulating her. Mm-hmm. So after this this failed evening, obviously her date never shows up, wink, wink. So Kathleen walks home. She tosses that rose in the trash. She logs onto her computer and sees that she has no new mail. So the next day, Joe is walking through the store with Kevin and kind of recounting the evening and is like, oh, Kathleen, she was insulting and provocative. And the only pleasant thing about her was the way that her hair fell across her forehead. And then he even calls her a bitch. Wow. And is like, I'm done with that. I'm going back to the office. So Kathleen is recounting the evening to Christina and, you know, says that her date never came, but she thinks that something must have happened to him. Some sort of emergency, unless he like saw me and then turned around and left. And Christina is like, no way. Cause obviously Meg Ryan is very beautiful. So oh yeah, she's gorgeous. That can't be it. 
So her and Kathleen then like concoct this situation where he got like stuck in a subway accident and didn't have his phone and then he got sucked onto the tracks and died or like <laughs> maybe God. there was a car accident he got hit by a cab and he's in a coma and then George is like uh guys and then sh- I actually thought this was very funny he like shows them the front page of the newspaper and just says like cops nab rooftop killer and they're like this could be him. He's very earnest in the way that he presents it too. He's like, Ahem. like you're not gonna believe this. Yeah, <laughs> and like he was also arrested two blocks away from the cafe. And Kathleen is like, no, it couldn't possibly be. And Christina's like, well, remember when you thought that Frank was the Unabomber? And she's like, that's different. It's not the same. <laughs> Insane, George. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Christina asks Kathleen how long she sat there by herself. And Kathleen is like, oh, not long. I actually ended up running into Joe Fox, but I don't want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Kathleen writes to Joe and says that she felt foolish sitting there waiting for him. And while she was, someone else showed up, her work enemy. And she was actually about to give him a zinger. But of course, afterwards, she felt terrible, just like he said, Uh, She was cruel, and well, she imagines the guy didn't care what she said. What if it did hurt him? She says that there's no excuse for it, and she wishes he showed up last night because he doesn't seem like a flake. And then she also tells him what they email back and forth. Like, it's a lot of, like, quote-unquote nothing, but she says all this nothing has meant more to me than so many somethings. Wow. Which I thought was, like, very beautiful. Mm -hmm. Joe shuts down his computer takes a sip of water. He walks out of the office. He like paces around his apartment and like looks back at the laptop every once in Mm -hmm. a while. He's like, "Hmm, hmm, hmm." (laughs) eventually he goes back to sit down and respond to Kathleen. And after many attempts, he ends up saying he can't tell her what happened last night, but begs for forgiveness. He feels terrible, but assures her that whatever she said last night was provoked, even deserved. Everyone says things they regret. She was expecting someone she trusted and got her enemy instead, which is his fault. And someday he'll explain everything. I'm your enemy and your lover, your best friend and your worst nightmare. I'm like, grown man learns empathy for the first time. Headline news. Oh, we got an Onion article (laughs) for doctors or whatever. (sighs) So... We then have this little sequence where Kathleen and Christina are walking to Birdie's for lunch, and Kathleen tells Christina that in his email, he didn't mention anything about meeting up again, but you know what? It doesn't matter. It's for the best. They can just be pen pals. So they sit down to lunch at Birdie's, and Birdie asks Kathleen what she's decided, and Kathleen breaks the news that she's going to close the store. Wow. Birdie says that it's a brave thing to do. You know, she's she's daring to imagine that she could have a different life. And she's not a failure. She's marching into the unknown with nothing. And <laughs> Kathleen is like, well, I, I With have- not a single thing. <laughs> she's like, I got a little bit saved. I got a little bit put aside. And Birdie suddenly, again, weird that they just throw this in. She's like, well, if you need more money, I'm rich because I bought Intel at six. I'm like, all right, Birdie, like, go off, Queen. Sure. They're also having like a full tea. Yeah. Like, with finger sandwiches and croissants and all mm-hmm. like, yeah. So 
Birdie then like references because there's this f- old photo of her from like the 60s and they're like oh tell us about this and she's like oh that's from this trip that I took to Seville when I was young and I fell in love but it wasn't meant to be and they're like why and she says because he ran Spain <laughs> and then he died oh my god so like Lord. I just have to jump right in like cut to Frank who is <laughs> shocked that Bertie fell in love with Generalissimo Franco. Yeah. Like, that's the, what you could assume since it was 1960. hmm Fascist dictator. Yeah. Big and, yikes. Yeah. Kathleen is like, oh, people do stupid things in foreign countries. And Frank points out that that applies to people buying leather jackets for too much, not like shocking up with a fascist dictator. Which I think is a very fair statement, I would say. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. And Kathleen is like, Bertie is practically my surrogate mother. So just like chill out. And Frank says he could never be with anyone who doesn't take politics as seriously as he does. Yeah. So they're in the movie theater now and someone shushes Frank. And Frank is like, hot dog is singing. You need quiet while hot dog is singing. (laughs) I do want to point out that they're in the Lincoln Square AMC. Oh, are they? I didn't notice. One of my favorite movie theaters. Yeah. 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 It's just right by Lincoln Center. Mm. And Kathleen leans over and she's like, Frank, I didn't vote. And he's like, what? And she's like, I didn't vote in the last mayoral election because I was getting a manicure and I forgot. He's like, I forgive you. And she's like, you forgive me? Like, just like the way that he fucking concocts his worldview. She just gets frustrated and leaves the movie theater. And as they walk down the street, he's like, hey, you're just having a big week because the store is closing. But Kathleen is like, it's not that. And he cuts her off and says it was terrible of him to jump on her when... I don't know how to say this. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. So they go, they sit down at this restaurant and he's like, Kathleen, you are wonderful. And I am so honored that you want to be with me because someone like you wouldn't waste their time on someone unworthy. And she's like, yeah, I feel the same way about you. And he's like, oh, that makes it worse. And she kind of looks at him and she's like, you don't love me. And he's like, no. And then she starts laughing and she's like, me either. <laughs> so, so glad we had this talk. <laughs> yeah. They're both delighted. They're like, whew. <laughs> and she's like, is there someone else? Oh, is it the TV lady? And he's like, well, nothing's happened yet, but I don't know. And Kathleen is like, oh, is she a Republican? And he's like, I just can't help myself. And they start laughing. So again, you know, obviously he's a big hypocrite, but Mm -hmm. um, he asks her if there's somebody else. And she says, no, but there's the dream of someone else. And there's one line here. I can't remember when it happens exactly, but I think it's when they are talking about how they don't love each other. And they're like, yeah, it makes no sense. Like, we're perfect for each other, but they aren't. They have like similar interests on paper, but there is yeah. no chemistry. There's no intimacy. Personality wise, it's yeah. not a fit. Mm-hmm. I think that one of the big things I've noticed, at least like in movies and like, I mean, real life too, but if your idea of being romantic isn't compatible, yeah, then it's almost always going to be like not compatible because you might get along 
in your interests or Mm -hmm. things that you know or ways that you were like brought up, like just similarities. But if your idea of like amazing date night is sitting at home having an intimate conversation and their idea is like we go out and we have this amazing meal and then we go dancing and it's like all – you're never going to have that intimacy of like – wow, I feel so fulfilled romantically. I feel like really intimate with this person because you just have polar opposite ideas about what that fundamentally means. Yeah, it's it's like a different different lifestyles. And of course, there's always like a middle ground and there's way for, ways for people who are really different to make it work. But yeah, if people aren't willing to compromise, then that is where it gets tricky. Mm-hmm. Like I know with, with my boyfriend, we – don't have a lot of like the same interests necessarily um but our personalities like we get along really well so that's where we're able to meet and like i'll watch his stuff and he'll watch my stuff and we're both really like open to that so it works out in that way but if people aren't willing to do that then that's when it becomes a problem yeah but uh that night we see frank leaving kathleen's apartment with all his stuff and his typewriter off he goes The shop around the corner is having their going out of business sale. All stock is 40% off. There's a customer talking to Kathleen about how she came here every Saturday as a little girl. And Kathleen's mom gave her Anne of Green Gables and said to read it with a box of Kleenex. And she like shed some tears and Kathleen Kathleen gives her tissues, but then also just like fucking gives her the box of tissues. Yeah. Just so sad to see a business that was a neighborhood staple. Yeah. Close. Like, it's just so sad. And and although I've only lived in Lower East Side for two years, like, mm-hmm. even just being here for that time, it's, like, every week there's a smoke shop that pops up. Yeah. And another, like, bodega is closed down or another, like, restaurant or something. And it's just, like, do we need, like, 16 vape shops in a, a two-block radius? Like, <sighs> yeah. No, it's it's so sad. Even like when I went back to New York for the first time since the pandemic started, it was so sad to see all these businesses that I loved and had gone to in all different yeah. neighborhoods gone completely. There were so many like small business loans. Do you remember the PPE mm-hmm. loans that like people like basically stole? Yeah. And why couldn't there have just been a better allocation of funds yeah. to go toward businesses that have always thrived in those areas and like have been there for a long time and are family owned like yeah there's just no support and no help for those businesses no it's devastating yeah meanwhile at fox books kathleen goes into the store and kind of like looks around she sees all these people like all these kids sitting and reading um just a ton of business right the store is packed it feels like a mall this was devastating too because like I wonder how many of those kids used to shop at her store. Right. And she sees the children's section full of kids reading. So she sits down at one of the tables and Joe actually sees her from across the room. And Kathleen hears a lady asking the sales associate if they have the shoe books. And this associate is like, the shoe books? Like, can I get an author's name? And Kathleen can just overhear this, like, knowing all this info, knowing this would never happen at her store, right? Yeah. They would know exactly what they're talking about. They would be like, let me show you. We have all of these. And Kathleen just kind of chimes in after a while after they're, like, unable 
to figure out what's going on. She's like, um, it's a series of books by this author and you know, the ballet shoe book is the best. And there's also this book, but it's there's no the longer theater in print. shoes and this one. Yeah. yeah. Who's Chris Messina? Okay. So the sales associate, I was like, I know this voice. And then I look closer at his face and I was like, oh my God, it's Dr. Danny Castellano from the Mindy Project. Oh. Um, he's also been in like lots of other stuff. If you look him up, you'll you'll recognize him. But he is so young in this movie that I almost didn't clock it was him. But mm. yeah. Anyways, it's a really it's a really beautiful scene. And I kind of thought that w- before she was like, oh, the, the store is going to close. I thought that maybe Joe would be like, oh, you know what? We're actually going to like not have a children's section. So that way, like her business yeah. would stay alive or like, oh, we're going to buy her store and like. That will be the children's section. Yeah. Yeah. But no, that doesn't happen. He just lets her go out of business and then is like, whoops. Whoops, I love you. My B. (laughs) That infuriated me. Like, she's devastated. Yeah. And even now, as she's like this wealth of knowledge, Mm -hmm. helping out. Yeah, because it's a sales associate who is just like, this is my job. This isn't my life. I don't love books. Like, whatever. Yeah. And to have Joe see that her that was her passion and that was mm-hmm. like something she was good at it's like how do you how can you live with yourself i know and like this scene actually reminded me a lot um of my brother actually because he used to work at a big book chain here in canada yeah. it's called indigo and they would have people all the time come in and be like oh i'm looking for this book that's like about this thing and they don't know the author and he'd be like i i'm sorry like i just don't know what you're talking about without an author name because the people that work there, there's no way that they could have this encyclopedia knowledge of like every single plot. There's also just so many books. Like there's so many books in the store. Yeah. They're not keeping track. They're not the ones ordering the books. They're not keeping track of it. Like, yeah, it's not like a curated bookstore for certain genres or anything. Later that night, uh, Patricia and Joe are on their way back to their apartment and Patricia says that everybody was talking about Kathleen Kelly at work today, and she was thinking that she'd make a great children's book editor and wants to hire her, and basically says that, like, Kathleen has great taste. Like, if she likes a book, it always sells out. She has great instincts. But Joe is like, oh, I don't think she's going to work for you. Like, she lacks the killer instinct and just kind of, like, goes off about it. And Patricia is like, um... Did you forget that you're the reason that she's out of a job? Like, you're so obtuse. It's so insensitive. You remind me of somebody. Who could it be? Oh, my God. It's me. You remind me of me. That's crazy. (laughs) I'm also just like, you're trying to not get Kathleen hired. Yeah. Maybe as like, because you like her and you don't want them to work together. But like, you already fucked her out of one job. Right. You can't let her get a job. Just like ruining her life every chance he gets. Oh, yeah. So they're in the elevator at this point, and suddenly the elevator gets stuck. There's also, like, one of the doormen is in there, and there's another tenant. They end up calling for help, but, like, clearly they're going to be trapped there for for a hot minute. Mm -hmm. So in the elevator, there's, like, an older woman holding her dog, and she's like, if I ever get out of here, I'm going to start talking to my mother. And the doorman is like, I'm going to finally propose to my girlfriend. Like, I love her. I don't know why I waited so long. Mm-hmm. And Patricia's like, if I ever get out of here, I'm going to get my eyes lasered. <laughs> and then 
Joe starts talking. He's like, if I ever get out of here. And then Patricia's like, where are my Tic Tacs? I can't find my Tic Tacs. So. So that's a little bit about her. (laughs) Sobering moment for Joe. Yes. So later on, like, they're out of the elevator. It's the evening. And Joe is walking to his boat with Brinkley and his stuff. And he writes an email to Kathleen and says that once they got out of the elevator, he moved out with his dog because suddenly everything had become clear. He'll avoid the personal details, but there was the man in the elevator who knew exactly what he wanted, and he wished he was as lucky as him. So Kathleen writes back about how people always talk about change being good when really it's something you didn't want to happen that happened. It's like, oh, it'll be such a great change. And you're like, I didn't want this to happen. Yeah. Change is such a non um, connotation, connotational word. Yeah. Because a change could be like very positive or a change could be incredibly negative. Yeah, totally. She's like, my store is closing this week. And in a week, it'll probably be just a baby gap and will be a memory. Some might say it's a tribute to how this city keeps changing on you, but the truth is she's heartbroken and she feels like a part of her has died and her mother has died all over again and no one can ever make it right. And that's really fucking hard because her mother's memory and her existence was so deeply embedded in her bookshop. Oh, yeah. And like Kathleen practically grew up there. Yeah. Kathleen takes one last look at her store and she sees a memory flash of her mother twirling her around in the bookstore and just dancing together oh my god devastating moment it was so beautiful though like yeah i i love when movies or plays any piece of media really does stuff like this or we have like a visual representation of a memory it always gets me. So this is a really beautiful moment. Yeah. And I think it's it's interesting because, like, there are some allusions to the fact that, you know, this was her mother's store. It wasn't necessarily, like, her thing, her thing that she started. She kind of, like, took the mantle from her mother. So maybe it's not, mm-hmm. like, necessarily what she wants to do in her life. But she has this deep, deep love for doing it and seemed to really care about the store and enjoyed running it and has this big passion for, like – children's literature so it's not like just the case of oh i'm only doing this because my mom did like she did have a really genuine love for for the field yeah absolutely so some time has passed and we see the little flower buds beginning to bloom on the trees spring is springing and joe walk is walking his dog brinkley down by the water when his dad shows up bags packed so him and jillian are already toast but joe's like well at least he didn't get married so is jillian annabelle's mom though no annabelle is the grandfather's daughter right and jillian is matthew's mother oh that's sad though yeah we see the two men have their like boats attached to each other in the marina And I think kind of like another visual representation of the fact that Joe isn't quite like his dad or his grandfather in the sense of just being completely 
cold-hearted businessman is literally the fact that he has a much more modest small boat compared to his father who has this like very nice big yacht Mm -hmm. it's also like fox two fox Fox three yeah (laughs) so on his dad's boat you know mr fox senior is talking about or i guess senior be the grandfather well i guess i don't know how many generations yeah there are. yeah senior to joe fox <laughs> his dad <laughs> he's uh he's talking about how he always stays on this boat after all of his failed relationship of of which there have been many like yeah two of them alone were joe's nannies mm-hmm. and it turns out ironically that this time jillian is the one who ran off with someone the nanny maureen the nanny maureen yeah iconic mm-hmm. <laughs> so the dad says that you know the easy part is meeting someone new and joe is like yeah sure so easy to meet the single person on earth who fills your heart with joy and his dad is like what are you talking about it's not like either of us have ever been with a person like that and Joe realizes exactly who that person is for him. Yeah. So Joe shows up to Kathleen's apartment with flowers and he asks to come up. And she's like, no, I have a terrible cold. But Joe actually just ends up going right in anyway. He like goes in behind someone else mm-hmm. and knocks on her door. And like <laughs> Kathleen realizes this and she like throws on a trench she like tries to toss out like all these tissues and like put some dishes in the sink and just like her apartment is is really busted like Mm -hmm. she's ill one thing i i wanted to mention just about her apartment um i love how the interiors in i mean the two Nora efron movies i have now seen feel so Mm -hmm. like lived in like they're still oh, they're cozy. They're still like beautiful and very aspirational in the way that like like a Nancy Myers interior is always like gorgeous and stunning, but these feel like more attainable. They're just like so cozy and lived in and I would love to just like be inside one of the sets just to like look at all the details because I'm sure there are many many details. Yeah. Yeah, you totally get the feel that this is somewhere she's been for a long time. There's like all these pictures on the wall. There's mm-hmm. books. Like it's not the cold, sterilized, like this is a set type yeah. of feel. So eventually after she tidies up a bit, she does open the door and he says that he heard she was sick. So he was worried. And she's like, well, did you come here to gloat or offer me a job? Because I have plenty. I got offered a job by Patricia. And Joe actually tells her that he and Patricia broke up. And Kathleen is like, "Mm, that's a shame. You were perfect for each other. Ouch. (laughs) Yeah. And then she like immediately apologizes. She's like, I don't mean to say stuff like that. There's no excuse for it. Every time I see you, it just flies out. And he gives her the flowers and she thanks him before opening the door for him to leave but he goes to put the flowers in water and tells her to rest because she's sick so he's like not so fast Mm -hmm. so he starts putting the flowers in a vase and says you know george says hello he's actually the one who told me you were sick he's doing great over at fox books like george is running the children's section there oh 
wow. I think he mentioned something about like, oh, yeah, you can't even work there now unless you have a PhD in children's literature. So he is bringing that yeah. like personal touch back to back to the neighborhood. He brings the flowers over. Kathleen looks at them and says that she loves daisies. And he's like, I know you told me. Yeah. He remembers it's from their from their meet cute. And she says that daisies are the friendliest flower. And then she asks him, you know, when him and Patricia broke up, because it seems like everybody's breaking up right now. Him, her and Frank broke up, and another person she knows broke up with someone in an elevator. And he's like, wow, that's so interesting. Who could that be? Oh, my God. So he starts, he takes it upon himself just to make some tea for the both of them. And Kathleen says that it's actually the guy she was waiting for at the cafe that night. And she kind of apologizes to him, saying that she was upset and she was so horrible. And Joe is like, no, I I was the horrible one. And Kathleen is like, well, that's true, but I don't have an excuse. (laughs) And Joe says, oh, I see. It's that I am a horrible person, so I have no choice but to be horrible. That's what you're saying? And she kind of starts to refute it, but he's like, no, no, it's all right. I put you out of business. You are totally entitled to hate me. But she says that she doesn't hate him. And he says, well, you'll never forgive me. Just like Elizabeth Bennett. She was too proud. Or was she too prejudiced? And I'm like, well, if you read the end (laughs) of the book, you would know that she actually does forgive Darcy. So Mm. anyways. (laughs) I digress. Yes. He says that it wasn't personal. And she says that all that means is that it wasn't personal to him, but it was personal to her. And to a lot of people. And what's so wrong with being personal? Everything should begin by being personal, which I think also Mm -hmm. is like a very beautiful and true sentiment. Yeah. So then Kathleen asks why he came again. And he says that he wanted to be her friend, even though he knows it's not possible. And as Kathleen gets into bed, he asks what happened with uh, the guy at the cafe. And she's like, oh, nothing. And he asks if she's crazy about him. And She's like, yes. Joe asks what she's waiting for then. And Kathleen admits that she only knows him through the internet. So he's like, I'm really happy for you. Although I really suggest that you meet him. No, never mind. Why would you want to meet someone you're crazy about? And she's like, I don't need your advice. But he covers her mouth and says he can see he brings out the worst in her. So he is stopping her from saying something that she's just going to torture herself over for the next couple of days. Wow. And there's a very palpable moment when he puts his hand on her mouth. Yeah. I can tell it's like a butterfly type mm-hmm. moment. It's, it's probably also the first time that they've touched. Yeah, that's exactly for sure. It's like even when you have that tension with someone that you kind of like and like you just like joke around or like you – Raz each other and then it's like oh. mm-hmm. but then you're showing me like a gentle side it's always like yeah wow oh my god so he tells her he hopes she feels better it would be a shame to miss new york in the spring and she thanks him for the daisies and he hands her one and tells her to take care and leaves i think also in that moment she kind of gets um the idea that he is the man she's been talking to because right. she mentioned in her emails, like, oh. About agonizing I, over yeah. saying mean things. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a little bit of a light bulb moment, but she's not totally sure. 
Yeah. So we then get this montage where Kathleen emails her mystery man saying that she wants to meet. And he says, I would love to meet. I'm just in the middle of a project right now that needs tweaking. So this is where Joe begins to like craft his little uh mm-hmm. his little plan yes. which I think is pretty manipulative but <laughs> she is reading in a Starbucks one day when Joe happens to run into her comes in to join her and she tells him about the email that she got back and he makes fun of the word tweaking and it's like oh it sounds like he's married with three kids right and I'm like Joe, shut up. Why are you like this? (laughs) And she's like, no, he's not. He's not married. And he's like, well, have you even asked him? So that night she goes home and she emails him asking if he's married. And he writes back, totally gaslighting her, is like, don't you know me at all? Like, why would you ask me that? Let me guess. Your friends are telling you that's why we haven't met. He's so annoying. (laughs) Joe and Kathleen go to brunch and they sit down and Joe is like, okay, so he never actually answered the question. Why are you putting doubt into this poor woman's mind? You've already closed her business. Manipulation station. Jesus. Right. And Kathleen is like, yes, he did. He nailed me. He knew exactly why I was asking, which is exactly like him. And Joe repeats that he didn't answer the question. And he's like, oh, maybe he's fat. And Kathleen is like, "Uh, I don't care about that. So Joe asks what his handle is. And Kathleen is like, it's NY152. And Joe is like, oh, maybe he's 152 years old. Or he's had 152 moles removed. And Kathleen is like, "Mm, maybe it's the number of people who think he looks like Clark Gable. And they just go back and forth. like. Negative 152s and positive 152s. And Kathleen says the only thing she's worried about is him having a boat. (laughs) Because she could never be with someone who has one. And Joe is like, I have a boat. So that seals the deal. We'll never be together. And he says that he could never be with someone who likes Joni Mitchell. She clearly likes Joni Mitchell. So... Joe asks about her book and she's like, oh yeah, like I never would have had time to do this with the store being open. And it was actually NY152 who got me thinking about writing a book in the first place. And she mentions like how they keep bumping into each other. And he asks if she wants to bump into him on Saturday for lunch. And she agrees. So they're I guess like this brunch wasn't planned or Yeah, I guess not. I don't know. This is like the first time they're making plans to see each other. Yeah. I'm like I needed this to come earlier in the movie. I needed this I like friendship foundation to be built sooner. Like I know that it's supposed to be probably like takes place over a couple weeks, but I'm like this whole movie takes place over like months. What? 9 months? Yeah, I mean it's Starts around Thanksgiving, and now we're in spring. Yeah, so like, it's probably like May, May April, May. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that night, Joe emails Kathleen asking to meet Saturday, the day that him and her actually have lunch plans, at 4 p.m. in Riverside Park. 
he'll be there waiting with his dog, Brinkley. Mm. So Kathleen and Joe meet up that Saturday for lunch at, I think it's a Grace Papaya. We don't see the sign, it but it's, it's a hot dog spot. Yeah. yeah. But she tells him that she is meeting up with the mystery man in Riverside Park today. And they talk about how that probably means he lives on the west side. Like she might have seen him every day and not known it. Crazy. And Joe's like, yeah, it could be that guy right there. So as he's walking her home, he talks about how this guy is waiting until she's primed and like absolutely convinced that there's no other man that she could possibly love. And then he kind of stops and says he wonders if it hadn't been for Fox Books and and she hadn't been the shop around the corner and they just met. And she's kind of like, I know. And he says, I'd have asked for your number. And I wouldn't have been able to wait 24 hours before asking you out for coffee or drinks or dinner or a movie for as long as we both shall live. And that did (sighs) gag me a little bit. I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) That was really beautiful. I was like, maybe it's because I'm like in an emotionally toxic headspace right now. But I was like, oh, my (laughs) my God. God. It's so beautiful. Yeah. He says they never would have been at war. And the only thing they'd fight about is which movie to rent on a Saturday night. And she asks, who fights about that? He says, not us. We would never. If only. Mm. She's about to leave because, like, obviously he is confessing that he likes her and she doesn't know what to do with that information. Yeah. And he stops her and asks how she can forgive this guy for standing her up. And not forgive him for this tiny little thing of putting her out of business. (laughs) I wish you could see the face that Christina just made for putting her out of business. The look of death in her eyes. The killer instinct was ignited. And he's like, I wish you would. And I'm like, I wish you would get the fuck out of here. I wish you would fucking open her store back up, you cunt. Yeah. And so she just goes, I need to go. And starts walking away. She looks back one more time. And then goes into her apartment. So... She changes out of her trousers and puts on a gray dress and a cardigan and heads over to Riverside Park. And she's waiting in this beautiful garden. It's like clearly alive and blossoming with spring. And she hears someone call for Brinkley, which she knows is NY152's dog. Up walks Joe Fox (gasps) following his puppy. And Kathleen, like, laughs, and Joe walks over to her, and she starts crying, and he pulls out a handkerchief, and he's like, don't cry, shop girl. And she says she wanted it to be him so badly. And when she said that, though, I was like, but actually... (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, did you... I don't Is know that just we... something like you're saying in the moment? I don't know if that we was really like got there. A shock to hear for me. No, I was expecting like there's no there's no conflict of like I can't believe right. you did this to me. Like we're not doing that. We're just going straight to acceptance. I'm like maybe she just knew and she's known for a while and she didn't want to believe it. I guess when she said that though, I was like, 
I am taken out of this moment completely. Yeah, yeah, same. I don't feel like it was justified. Yes. I don't feel like it was earned. Yeah. And I think there's a way to make that happen. But I just didn't – I didn't feel it. The, the pacing was off and the build wasn't there for me to, like, buy that. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you. But they do finally kiss and we do a little zoom out and pan up to the clouds. The end. The end. <laughs> and then we see the end, like, typing, like, cursor, like, blinking. Yeah. And that's You've Got Mail, baby. Yeah. Damn, I'm sorry to the the big – Nora Ephron fans who I will upset yeah. with my commentary because I, I don't think it's a bad movie. No. I just really feel like the build wasn't there mm-hmm. to get to where we needed to be with Joe and Kathleen. Yeah, I don't think that the yeah. quote-unquote like redemption arc was really mapped out super well. And no. like this is a two-hour movie. It's not, it's not short by yeah, any means. Short. There's a lot of real estate to develop these relationships and we know how good Nora mm-hmm. Ephron is at like developing these story arcs that we saw in When Harry Met Sally and so maybe like I just came in with too high expectations because I was expecting something as well like yeah flushed out as that and this just wasn't for me and I had a really hard time behi- like getting behind Joe and again it's hard not to compare him to like Harry who you know is our counterpart in the other movie but i feel like with Harry yeah he had a lot of faults and he had a lot of like issues but we were able to see so much more like more balance between the good and the bad mm-hmm. whereas with Joe i was just kind of like this guy sucks like i just can't i can't get behind him and they didn't do enough for me to like flip that opinion around yeah i i just feel like he had so little remorse yeah. for his business endeavors. And alternatively, I guess, if we wanted to make it less of a deal or like make it less of a big red flag, we could have changed it so that Kathleen actually realized she's really glad that she has time to pursue other things. But she seems she seems excited about writing this book, but it doesn't seem like the type of excitement that would overpower her whole fucking livelihood being destroyed. Yeah, like the level of excitement over writing a book is not on par with the level of devastation Mm -hmm. that she had at having to close her store. Right. So we needed to either beef that up Mm -hmm. or beef up him being like, I think I fucked up by doing this. And like there's actually a pretty convenient way to do that because they both – are working for businesses that were their parents. So they could have easily oh, yeah. bonded over the idea of like, oh, we are just like following what our parents want, but that's not what we actually want to do. Mm-hmm. It's like right Imagine there. Imagine ended with like both of them running the little bookshop. Yeah, that would have been so cute. <laughs> but it's okay. Yeah. I mean, there are parts of it that I, that I really liked. I really liked the character of Kathleen. Yeah, definitely. I really liked Meg Ryan's performance. Yeah. I enjoyed Tom Hanks' performance, too. I think that it was nice seeing him in, like, this romantic comedy role. Yeah. Which I guess I'd seen before in, like, Big, but this one was very, like, grounded, right? It doesn't Mm -hmm. have the premise of him being a child. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And I guess the, like, weird statutory rape factor. Mm -hmm. But anyways. Yeah. Yeah. I did like them together. I guess for me, just, like, the pacing of the plot and the ultimate spot that they like end up didn't get there. Yeah. I do think there's a lot of really beautiful 
writing in this, like my favorite thing about this movie is the emails. I think they are so beautifully crafted and we have such – Yeah, the emails are written very well. We have such good like observational uh, content that mm-hmm. isn't necessarily plot building but um, is like world building and like really yeah. – and like character building stuff, which I really loved. I thought those were great. We just needed to kind of like – the structure – I feel like didn't serve the ending mm-hmm. with a rom-com. Unfortunately, it all kind of like hinges on the ending because we're building to a specific point. So if it doesn't quite get there, it doesn't like ruin the whole movie, but it, you know, it makes it kind of feel a little more flat when there are so many great things that like really could have shown more. I think if they, if the ending like was justified. Yeah, I agree for sure. But I know that people have a lot of love for this movie, so like yeah. these might be controversial takes. We're not saying it's a bad movie by any stretch. Yeah, it's yeah. not a bad movie. I just needed more. I think also coming from just watching Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> like the, that the, got there. Yes. And they didn't even fucking touch, bro. Mm-hmm. He, he helped her on the carriage once, and I said, I'm quaking in my boots. Like, yeah. That build was ridiculous. Like, it was mm-hmm. so awesome, but... Yeah, and I mean, like, Pride and Prejudice is kind of the the masterful, like, the masterclass of how to yeah. build a redemption arc that leads to, like, a beautiful ending, <laughs> so... Yeah. Who directed Pride and Prejudice? Uh, Joe Wright, I believe. Okay. On that note, I guess, should we give it a rating? Yeah. I think I'm going to rate it, like, a seven, but, like, I'm afraid. I was also going to give it a seven. Like, it's okay. not a bad movie. I enjoyed it. Yeah. There are just some things I wish that were different, and I don't think I would revisit it as often as I probably would when Harry met Sally. Yeah, same. Or just other romantic comedies, but I did enjoy it. I enjoyed Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks' uh banter and chemistry so i am looking forward to seeing sleepless in seattle oh yeah me too and seeing how that is different from this and you know just kind of looking at the the trilogy as a whole and and seeing where it stands yeah kind of analyzing the saga yeah well thank you so much for listening to our first fall in love february movie we hope you enjoyed it we are super excited for the lineup that is to come and also that Pride and Prejudice is out on Patreon, so definitely go check that out. We had so much to say. It's a long episode, so strap in. It is a long episode, but hey, you're getting your money's worth. Yes. If you, you're like, I can't even wait for the next episode, just follow us on Instagram yes. at Movies That Raised Us. Follow us on Twitter at MTRU underscore pod. You can also follow us on TikTok at Movies That Raised Us Pod, or you can send us a good old fashioned email at Movies That Raised Us at gmail.com. Yes, you can. I'm Mo. And I'm Christina, and our theme song is by Garrett Schmidt. Bye. Bye.